Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Worth More podcast. I'm your host, Cami Bleese, and so excited for today's episode. Today, I interviewed Lauren Twig, who is a dietitian in Dallas, but works with clients all over the United States, helping them change their relationship with food and achieve lots of different nutritional goals that they might have. And we had an amazing conversation. I think y'all are going to love all of the things that we dig into. We're talking about lots of trends, like avoiding dairy or you know, the paleo diet, the vegan diet, things like that. We're also going to talk about myths and some of the most common ones that she has come up in her practice and with her clients. Maybe they apply to you. Maybe these are things that you want to know about. It is so good. She is so intelligent and passionate about her work, helping people find a balance that works for them and give so many great insights and tips on how you can start that process for yourself. I cannot wait for y'all to hear this episode and I cannot wait to hear what you think. So let's go ahead and jump right on in. Hello, Lauren. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited that you are on the podcast today and I cannot wait to dig into some of these amazing questions and topics that we have been chatting about. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I love all these topics, so it's going to be a good one. Me too. Well, I would love if you could let everyone know just like a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to become a dietitian. And also because like, I think this was something I was really confused on for a while myself. What's the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? Because I think there's a lot of like confusion out there and I didn't really know for the longest time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a little bit about me. I am originally from California, the central Valley. And originally I wanted to go to vet school. So I grew up in the ag industry, um, in dairy farming, but then like tree fruit farming, nuts, all of that goodness. Um, and I just like always had this innate love for animals So I thought for sure, I'm going to go to vet school. Um, I had that goal, but then also growing up, like, like I said, I grew up tree fruit farming, like surrounded by some of the world's freshest produce, or at least this nation's freshest produce. Um, I was an athlete growing up. You know, I always was um, pretty dialed into nutrition, just that was just something that I was interested in. So I wanted to go to vet school. Then I got into college, realized vet school was not for me. And I actually had a friend at the time who wanted to be a dietitian. Um, I had never heard of it before. I had no clue what a dietitian was. All I knew was I liked food and I liked to eat healthy. Um, and I was very science minded. So I ended up switching my focus to nutrition Um, I have a bachelor's degree in animal science from Texas A&M, hence that's where my vet school (laughs) desires are reflected. And then I went to grad school and got my master's in clinical nutrition. Um, so I've been a dietitian now for about two years. Um, I've loved every minute of it. I think it's fantastic. Um, a little difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian. This is like a very popular question. It's one that I would not have known until I went to school to be a dietitian. So it's kind of like that all squares are a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square topic. Um, All dietitians are nutritionists, but not all nutritionists are dietitians. Um, So really the main difference is in education. A nutritionist, that term, is actually not a regulated term. Anybody and everybody can call themselves a nutritionist. That is not to say that all nutritionists don't know what they're talking about, because there's plenty of them who have a bachelor's degree in nutrition, right? Or they went and got all these certificates in nutrition. With a dietitian and the RD credential, you have to have a degree in nutrition, that's a requirement. You have to complete 1,200 hours of supervised clinical practice. That's a requirement to sit for the RD exam. You have to pass the RD exam, which is like the national accredita- accreditation accreditation Anyways, yeah. um, exam that you have to pass, kind of like the NCLEX for nurses. And then you have to do um, continued education every five years 
90 hours to keep your RD current. So the registered dietitian credential is very regulated. You know what you're getting with a dietitian. With a nutritionist, like I said, that's not to say that not all nutritionists don't know what they're saying, but always ask. If you want to work with someone, always ask, what is your background in nutrition? Because maybe they have a degree from Google, right? You should take a lot of what they have to say with a grain of salt or be, be guarded a little bit about that so that you don't fall into something that's maybe not accurate or science-based. But if they went to a you know school and they have a degree in nutrition or they have multiple certificates, it's just, it's worth asking. And it's definitely beneficial yeah. to know the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian. Yeah. That's that so helpful. Oh my yeah. gosh. That was, yes. That's amazing. I think that that's, something that we're kind of learning, like, especially on, you know, social media and all these platforms, like there's so many people that can share their perspective about like how you should be eating, what you should be eating. And like, Oh, let me help you with my plan or my program. And there's no accreditation. There's no like degree. And it doesn't mean that they don't like totally know what they're talking about or like that they're lying, but it's like, there's a difference in like you wanting to spend like your time, your money, your trust and your health and putting them in that person's hands. So I think that it's yeah. important to understand where you're putting that investment. Just like anybody, I guess, could technically say they're a personal trainer, but it's like, did they take like a course or a program or a class? Do they keep up with their certification? Like where were they certified? Right. Those are important questions to ask as well. And I think that like, Sometimes we don't always want to do that. So I think it's really helpful to understand the difference there for sure. Yeah. So I know that one of the things that you do a lot on your social media, which I have like loved following and being a part of is talking about kind of like diet trends and diet myths and all this stuff. So we're going to dig into that because I think that a lot of people will be curious. So you and I have kind of chatted around some very like common diet trends and I'm going to like go through a pretty quick list so we don't have to like dig super deep into each one, but I would love kind of like your, you know, main thoughts on each of these, if that's okay. good with you. Yeah. Sounds great. Um, I wanted to start with this one. Cause I know this is the one like that. I feel like you're probably one, like the most passionate about, but is the diet trend of avoiding dairy. Yes. This is a popular one. And Obviously, you know, if you follow my page, you know where I stand kind of on the topic. And I think a lot of times people lose perspective. They think that I think everyone in the whole world should have dairy. That's not what I think. But I also don't think everyone in the whole world needs to be dairy free. Um, I am a firm believer that dairy free has become a part of diet culture. It is a trendy thing for a lot of people. Um, you can talk to people all over the place that love cheese. They like to put milk in their oatmeal. They want to have a yogurt berry parfait, but diet culture and social media and everybody told them to be dairy free. And that is what, quote, healthy people do. Um, it's absolutely unnecessary if you don't want to do it. We know that dairy products have all these different types of nutrients in them. It used to be dairy has nine essential nutrients. That's actually changed to it now has been found to have 13 essential nutrients. It really is one of the most complete foods. Um, So to me, dairy-free, if you want to be dairy-free for an ethical reason, great, do that. I support you. If you want to do it because you have a lactose intolerance, we can A, do some diet things to so that you can still enjoy dairy in a low lactose way, or you can omit it if it gives you a stomach ache, um, or if you have a dairy allergy, omit dairy, go dairy-free. But if you're doing it in the pursuit of health, there are lots of health benefits to including dairy in your diet, especially if you enjoy it. So I'm all about including the foods that you enjoy. If that is cheese and milk and yogurt, there is no reason why you need to give those up in pursuit of health. It's, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I love it. Really I'm passionate about it. <laughs> yes. No, I know. And I think there's so much confusion and it's like, I think there's a lot of people, myself included, who can sometimes be confused about like our own bodies and like, is this making me feel good? Is this not making me feel good? And you just kind of assume that when yeah. all these people are telling you like, 
this is ruining your body and it's inflaming everything and all this stuff that you're like, oh, that must be the same for me. I must cut it out and feel so much better. Yes. And like that's yes. not the case for everyone. Yeah. And I think too, and this will probably run true for every diet trend that we talk about in this, in this list. Um, a lot of times we see people online who eat a certain way and we want to look like them. Right. Mm -hmm. So then if we eat the same way, naturally we're going to look just like they are. And that's just not the reality. Every body responds different to every diet. They might be following that because they have a milk protein allergy, right? They're dairy free because they truly cannot consume it. Um, you know, it's adopting other people's diet habits. Doesn't mean you're going to look like other people. Um, you're going to look like how your body's going to respond. And so I just, you have to do your diet to what feels good for you and what works for you and what's sustainable for you. Um, and if that is really difficult for you to omit the entire food group of dairy, don't do it. It's, yeah. It's it's not necessary. Uh, I feel like I want people to like hear that again. It's like, just because you eat like someone does not mean you will look like this person. And I think that like, yes. we can get really sucked into that trap super easily. And yeah. then there's so much shame that comes with like, well, my plate doesn't look like her. And of course, that's why I don't look like her. And it's like, you yep. might never, ever be able to look like her unless you like seriously were being like actually unhealthy. Right. You know, so it just, or even at that point. So I think it's really important to figure out. I love that you were like figuring out what is best for you and accepting like that versus comparing yeah. it to someone else. Yeah. And just like you said, and I don't want to like derail, but yeah. sometimes you pursue health so much that it's at the sacrifice of your health, right? Like you follow different influencers who all eat a different way, right? One is dairy-free, one um, is vegetarian, one is vegan, one is gluten-free, one, you know, they all have these different aspects. And if you adopt all of these different aspects, eventually you're going to have like three foods that you can eat. And that is not a healthy diet, right? So we get so focused on looking like health and pursuing what we interpret as health that it sacrifices our health. Um, so I just, I always encourage everyone, you have to mind your own plate, um, choose the diet that works the best for you. That's sustainable for you. I love that. Oh, so many good nuggets in that. I feel like that is like such an important, important reminder for people yes. to hear and remember. And I feel like your answer is probably going to be similar for this next trend, but I know that it kind of overlaps. I sort of said like a lot of people are also avoiding gluten. So I'm sure we can kind of copy and paste, but I know yeah. like people get really confused between like gluten and carbs. And so then they end up being like, well, I have to avoid gluten. So that means I can't have any carbs and they get really stressed and confused. Right. Yep. So generally, you know, the gluten-free diet is effective in people who have celiac disease. They have an actual allergy to gluten, which is a protein found in wheat. Um, so it's a protein found in different grains. Um, it's not the carbohydrate itself. So certain carbs are naturally gluten-free. Um, you don't have to go low carb and gluten-free does not equal low carb. You can find tons of carby crackers that are made with a grain that doesn't contain gluten naturally. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's like you hit the nail on the head. It's a very important distinction. Um, there are people who have a gluten allergy. There are some who have a gluten sensitivity. They would benefit from going gluten-free. And I feel like gluten-free has changed over the years. It used to be a lot more restrictive um, just naturally, but now we have so many gluten-free products out there um, that it is, it's possible to be perfectly healthy and eat a gluten-free diet. I think where people go wrong is that they assume gluten-free equals lower calorie. Not true. It's just made with a different grain. I think I saw Gluten-free is one of those labels that you see everywhere. And as a dietitian, like walking through the grocery store, I can hardly get through the grocery <laughs> store without 
you know, I leave with my blood boiling because I see so many unnecessary labels like gluten-free on Oreos, right? Um, an Oreo is not a low calorie, healthy food. So if you're doing gluten-free in the name yeah. of health and you see gluten-free on yeah. Oreos, I feel like some people are like, oh, they're healthy. They're gluten-free. It's an Oreo, you know? So some things are naturally gluten-free. Um, it does not make it a healthy food item. So I think gluten-free and dairy-free have absolutely become a part of like those diet trends that we follow. And it seems like everyone that you think is healthy eats that way. Um, but again, your body is not going to respond the same way their body does. I can assure you they probably do a whole lot of other things than just eat gluten and dairy-free. Um, and gluten-free yeah. does not equal low calorie. Yeah. No, I think that you touched on this and I, I've seen you talk about it. And it's something that I've become more aware of too, is like in the grocery store and you see all these things that are marketed towards like the health craze of the time and the yes. amount of things that you know are like, that say natural on them, which can mean nothing, you know, the amount of things that say gluten-free, that's like, of course that's gluten-free or of course that's already vegan or of course that's already this, but yes. they know you're looking for these buzzwords and without the education people are like oh well I'm eating healthy because it's vegan or I'm eating healthy right. because I you know it's natural and it's like that actually doesn't mean anything for most right. of these foods yes what I'm always like and I you will not find me having an issue with things in a box for the most part but I'm like okay if you're searching for the term natural which yes really means nothing it's not regulated there's no definition for it you can put the word natural on just about everything. But if it's really, truly natural, all of those things are not going to have a food label on them anyways, right? Like we're talking fruit, we're talking cucumber, we're talking tomatoes, we're berries, all of that, things that don't come with labels. And so it just, it's just yeah. funny to me sometimes that we will do anything to justify a certain food, right? And we, we, and it's, I'm not making fun of people. It's an issue in the food marketing industry. They know that about us. Yeah. They know that we want to see those labels. So educating yourself on what the label is and what it actually means for you, like it can, it frees you from falling into those marketing traps because they know you're looking and that's how they make their sales. Yeah, It's infuriating. Well, I think like that's <laughs> Is. Oh, absolutely. And I think that like, it's something that we're all looking for answers, you know, and I put that in quotes, but like we, everyone is. And I think that kind of leads easily into the next trend, which is like the latest, like keto or paleo or vegan is better. And essentially what I mean by, you know, mentioning any of those in general is like people falling into extremes and saying like, yeah. okay, I have to cut out this and like, I'm going fully this way. And, you know, I think we, <clears throat> have learned not to trust ourselves. So we assume that like, maybe this is the right diet for me. This is the right diet. And very rarely are those the answers for most people. So how do you feel in regards to these sort of more extreme diets for the sake of, I'll say like, quote, quote, health or weight loss, keto, yeah. paleo, vegan, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, so gosh, I could unpack all three of those individually, right? Yeah. Um, those are big ones, but I always just say the more things you cut out, the more you restrict, the more you remove, the less sustainable it's going to become. Um, I heard a dietitian put it this way, and I really like this thought process. When you are choosing a diet, a diet to follow, the one you choose should not have an expiration date. If it does, it's not the right diet for you. So choose one. Can you do it for the rest of your life? Can you do the keto diet for the rest of your life? And I'm talking true keto, four times the amount of fat to carbs and protein. A lot of times people think they're doing keto and they're actually low carb. Also, putting bacon grease in your coffee or whatever, that is, you will not convince me that it's healthy. So people have gone around keto, it's morphed into something different than it was originally intended to be, which first off, its original intent, it was a diet, a medical diet used to treat 
seizures in epileptic children. It shows you those reduced incidence of seizures shows you how much the keto diet has an impact on your brain, your brain function, right? Your, your signals to the point where it can stop seizures in children. Um, naturally, we as a society, we're like, we're going to do that to lose weight, but we don't do it in the proper way. So either not fully in ketosis or I talk to someone and they do the keto Monday to Friday and then they're done with it Saturday to Sunday. Okay. That's not the keto diet. Um, that's a lifestyle change, right? So, and then paleo and vegan, all of that, can you do it for the rest of your life? Is it sustainable for you? Does it have an expiration date that diet? Because if it does, it's not the one for you. Um, Vegan tends to fall into a little bit of a different category because there's a lot of ethical reasons why someone will pursue being a vegan. Um, That's all cool, right? Eating more plants is never a bad thing. That's a benefit of being um, a following a vegan diet. Naturally, they tend to eat more plants. Same for vegetarians. You need to be aware of what food groups are you omitting? What nutrients are you missing out on? How can you replace them? And can you afford the products that will replace those? Because a lot of the food groups are the more affordable way to get those nutrients, right? Like meat and dairy and all of those animal products have protein and vitamin B12 and other micronutrients that you'll have to find different supplements or different foods to replace that. Can you afford that? Can you afford them in the level that you'll need them in? Um, All things to consider. So. The more you restrict, the more you cut out, generally, the less sustainable it becomes. Um, That's typically my answer for keto, paleo, vegan in the name of weight loss, um, all of that. Yeah. No, I feel like that's really, that's really good advice. And I think that's something that like, more and more people should think about realistically. It's like, when you're trying to change your lifestyle in a fitness perspective, when you're trying to change your lifestyle in a nutrition perspective, any of these things, like what do you want to commit to trying to do the rest of your life? And I think yeah. that, like it's easy to jump to extreme short term and then burn yourself out. And then you're like, F it, I'm never doing this again. And it's like, had you just started in like baby steps, small steps, that's yeah. way more sustainable and it's going to have a bigger change longer term for sure. Yeah. And I think um, I'm reading a book right now that is that Atomic Habits book, a lot of people have read it. It's all about forming habits, breaking habits, all of that jazz. Um, And I was reading a chapter in there and it is just so true, even for the nutrition realm. We get so focused on the result, right? We want to do a diet because we want to lose 30 pounds. So we choose something that will result in the weight loss of 30 pounds. But then when you stop that diet, You didn't fix any of your process, right? You didn't address any of the system in order to get to your results of the 30-pound weight loss. Whereas if you go back and you choose little changes in your diet, you choose to go to the gym once a week, then it's to twice a week, then it's to three times a week. You choose to include more vegetables. You choose to cut down on soda. You choose to do all these little tiny changes that are beneficial to your overall health and sustainable for you, those will also eventually result maybe in the 30 pound weight loss, but you're changing your system. You're supporting your health, working towards the result you want to see instead of only pursuing a result. Because then when you stop the program that gave you the result you want, you didn't change anything. So you're going to go back to eating the way you've always eaten. You're going to go back to the weight that you were at. Um, so it's just interesting. I think, yeah, a lot of times people pursue like paleo, keto, all of that with the goal to lose X amount of pounds, but they don't want to change the process that what got you to a weight where you want to change it, right? What got you to the weight where now you want to be 30 pounds wider? How can you address those steps? So it doesn't happen again. Um, that was a very long winded answer to your question, but no, just, I love that. Yeah. I think I think that's really interesting and really important for people to keep in mind as they are trying to make these kind of nutritional changes. So I would yeah. love to like 
head into some of the diet myths that we've talked about. And so we obviously talked about some like trends that we've talked about and hear all the time. Um, I would love to know, I know that we have, we have three diet myths that we're going to chat about. I'm sure these are the ones that you like most commonly deal with. And so the first one is less is more when it comes to calories. Okay. So I have a group weight loss program. And in chapter one, we talk about why less is not more. Literally, that is the title. We always want to go to extremes, right? That's why there's all these diet trends. But then people are like, okay, I'm not going to do a diet trend. I'm going to lose the weight the natural way, right? I'm going to just do a calorie deficit. Yeah. But the calorie deficit that they do is so far below the amount of calories that they need. Um, They think less calories, more weight loss, right? In theory, yes, that is 100% correct. But you want to do it in a sustainable way. Because if you choose as an adult woman, for example, maybe you should have 1,700 calories is a good weight loss calorie range. I'm just throwing that number out there. And so you decide you want to do less because it's going to result in more. So you choose to eat 1,000 calories a day, right? 1,000 calories Monday, 1,000 calories Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You're really consistent. You're really miserable, but you're consistent at 1,000 calories. Then you get to the weekend and you are so starving that you have 3,000 calories on Saturday and 3,000 calories on Sunday. Eventually, at the end of the week, your weekly calorie average tends to be above where you, if you had just consistently hit 17, 17, 17, 17, it's a little higher, but it's more sustainable. It's easier to stick to. Um, So the other thing too, there is a thing called a binge restrict cycle. And that is exactly what that 1,000 calories Monday through Friday, but 3,000 calories Saturday and Sunday, that is a binge restrict cycle. You restrict, 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 restrict to the point where you cannot restrict anymore. Then you binge and you overdo it on Saturday and Sunday. Then you feel bad about it. So you go back around the circle and you restrict, 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 restrict till you're starving and you binge. And it's just this cycle that everybody gets stuck in. So the safer part is to not overly restrict, do it um, mildly, be friendly to your body um, because you can, can, you can stick with that more consistently and it will result in more consistent results. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I was definitely in that cycle as I think a lot of people were, where it's like you eat so little and you're like, oh, I'm doing such a great job. I'm such a great job. And by the weekend I was like a psycho and I was so hungry that it's just, yeah. And I think that's something people don't really understand too. Is like, you're not only like messing with your mind and your body, but like you're screwing up your metabolism. You're screwing up so many things by having these like crazy yes. cycles on your body that we just don't even acknowledge, like all for the sake of like, I'm going to, I don't even want to say health all for the sake of like being smaller. And like, that's like the pursuit yes. for so many people completely disregarding all the other things that it's affecting health wise, you know, that isn't actually healthy. Yeah. And when you like, that's such a good point, you know, the hormone fluctuations, that's all going to change, especially in females, right? Like the lower calorie that you go, I mean, males also have their own body responses, but women can lose their cycle. They can do all of these things all in the pursuit to just be a smaller gene size. Um, But also when you lose weight that rapidly, you're not being selective with where the weight is coming from. So generally we want to lose more fat and preserve muscle, right? Because our muscle drives our metabolism. Think of your muscle as like the furnace that burns your calories. Um, But when you do a thousand calorie diet, you're losing weight from every single part of your body, um, fat and muscle alike. And that's going to also make those results unsustainable because you've just lost all of your calorie burning muscle. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So then when you stop that diet and you start eating normal because you realize 1000 calories is no longer sustainable, 
you no longer have muscle to burn your calories and you're naturally going to gain weight. So you want to do it gradual. You want to be friendly to your body, preserve your muscle, maintain a good hormone balance. You'll be a happier person all around. It's better to just find the middle ground. It still will give you results, but they're going to be more sustainable. No, that's really helpful. And I think that's important. Like that comes back to so many of the things I feel like that we keep touching on is like small changes, focus on what's sustainable and real. Like all of this is about these like crazy changes and like this works for me. It can work for you. And it's like, sometimes you just need to like tune that out and just like start small and start with what you realistically can do for yourself, not what whoever you follow or like did for themselves. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. So the next myth that I'm sure you hear a lot is like, you can never have pizza or, you know, quote, quote, fun foods. If you want to lose weight, Yeah, people feel like it's like all yes. that has to go out the door as soon as like, they want to be, I'll again, put it in quotes, like healthier or lose weight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very popular. That is one that I deal with on a daily basis. There is absolutely no reason why you cannot eat the foods you enjoy and lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I try to explain a lot of it. So we'll use this 1700 calorie example again. Um, you have 1700 calories to eat in, in a day. Um, you can choose to spend those calories on, I think of them as dollars, calorie dollars, right? You can choose to spend those dollars on whatever food you want. Um, most of the time, we want to spend those dollars on foods that are going to make the most of your dollars, right? They have a lot of nutrition. Maybe they're lower in calories, so you can eat more of the food, all of these things. But every once in a while, you're going to spend your dollars on pizza because it's your birthday and you're going out to pizza and you want a glass of wine. That's fine. There's absolutely no reason why those calories can't fit into a diet just like the calories from a salad can. A calorie is a calorie. People will argue with that, but a calorie is a unit of energy. A calorie is a calorie. That doesn't mean that the foods are the same, right? It doesn't mean that a salad and a donut are the same, but if each one has 200 calories, they each have 200 calories. Um, That is just the reality of your metabolism. The other thing too is I actually encourage people eat the pizza eat the ice cream, do whatever, right? Find a way to eat it in moderation because when you don't, that is another version of that binge restrict cycle. You restrict the pizza, you restrict the pizza, you think about the pizza, you get in like an area where pizza is available and you way overeat the pizza, Mm. right? Versus maybe there you have four slices because who knows when you're going to get pizza again. But if you allow yourself to occasionally have it, it's really easy to be satisfied with one to two pieces in a salad because you can have it again when you want it next, right? Um, I actually encourage people, eat the fun foods, find a way to include them in moderation. There's lots of strategies on ways that you can do that, but you don't need to get rid of everything you enjoy just to lose a few pounds. No, I love that. I think that that was something that like was so freeing for me when I sort of stopped trying to lose weight and stopped caring so much because it was just like so exhausting and I think being Mm -hmm. able to like tell myself like I could have pizza four days in a row if I wanted to is that what's going to make me like feel my best probably not is that's going to make me like you know have all this energy probably not but for a while it was like I needed to allow myself to not be so afraid of foods and not feel like Monday I was cutting them out again so I think that being able to say like you can have these things whenever, but actually paying attention to how you feel. How's your energy? Are you like moving towards the goals that you want to be? If you have those goals, like being able to find that yeah. for yourself is super important and allowed me to have a lot more peace towards those foods and have the two pieces of pizza and a salad without being resentful towards my salad. You know, it's like, yeah, exactly. And I think you hear a lot too, like pizza is one example, but I also hear from a lot of people, I can't have chocolate in the house or I'll eat the whole thing. Yeah. That is a binge restrict cycle, right? That is restricting and then you binge because it's in the house. But but the easiest way to overcome that is to keep them in your house. And that always freaks people out. And I know it is harder to do it than it is for me to say to do it, right? Kind of like what you just said with the pizza, like, Maybe you do have it four days in a row, right? But 
then you allowed yourself and eventually it does lose its luster. It loses its like pull on you because you can have it when you want it. You might not want it all the time because you know it doesn't make you feel that great. You know having chocolate at night keeps you awake, right? Or whatever. You start to draw these conclusions, but it starts with challenging what are you restricting in your diet and then finding that you binge on when you're allowed to have it. Um, it looks a variety of ways, but yeah, you have to start challenging those food restrictions. Yeah. Oh, I think that's such good advice. And I am a firm believer of that. Like I'm not somebody who thinks you should like keep things out of the house because you can't control yourself. It's like, no, no, you'll be able to control yeah. yourself if you actually keep them in your house. Like you will not yep. feel so stressed. Um, yeah. So the final myth I wanted to ask you about is the idea that you have to track your calories or your macros to be successful. Because for me, as someone who's like, who was deeply ingrained in this like diet culture, weight loss fixation, like I am very adverse to counting calories or macros or anything like that. So I feel like, you yeah. know, a lot of people feel like to make healthier decisions or to reach their goals, they have to do something like that. So what are your thoughts on mm -hmm. that? Yeah, I disagree. So I have no issue with calorie tracking. I have some clients who do calorie track. They like to do it. I see a benefit in calorie tracking just to um, be aware of what's on your plate, right? Like some people, they just don't know, right? So there, calorie tracking can be an asset. But when it starts to cause a lot of guilt or when it starts to cause a ton of stress and it's become more than just like a tool that's supposed to help you, um, it's not worth it anymore. So I also have tons of clients on the flip side who have tracked for years of their life and they're like, never again, I won't do it. Or it causes a lot of guilt or it causes a lot of stress. Um, we don't track. We focus all on how do you build up your meals? Um, so maybe it's taking a, po a photo of your food and sending it to a dietitian like myself, or keeping track of what does your food look like on your plate. But I focus a lot on what's present on your plate and in what portions. Mm -hmm. You don't need to track calories when you build up your plate appropriately. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that I work with people a lot. But definitely the key to success is not tracking your calories. The key to success is finding a way to eat in a calorie deficit in a way that's sustainable and enjoyable if the goal is to lose weight. Yeah. Not everyone wants to or needs to lose weight, right? Um, we also need to start to let go of that constant drive to be smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Sometimes your body is great. A lot of times your body is great the way that it is. If you are happy with the way that you look, be happy with the way that you look. You know, notice all the great ways that you feel. Um, but if you are wanting to lose weight you don't have to track calories to do that yeah I think that's really helpful and good for people to know you know who might be in a similar situation to me but also might have some goals for themselves that you know they're wanting to achieve. Yeah. So I think that that's really important for people to understand I feel like a lot of yeah. people in our culture kind of have this like I like this disordered idea when it comes to food. So not like full-blown eating disorder, right? This like very sort of like subtle disordered way of living and we've kind of touched on that. But what do you think are some of the biggest contributing factors and how can we kind of create a better relationship towards our plate and not feel so much at war with it? I mean, I think the number one contributing factor is social media, like 100%. I mean, you have Hollywood, right? Like you have the media, you have TV, you have all of this stuff. But like social media is so dangerous for people. Um, like we were talking about earlier, like you see your favorite fashion influencer eats a certain way, and then you start to doubt the way that you're eating. And so you try to eat the same way they are. That doesn't mean your body's going to look like their body, they have a different body than you do. Um, so I would say, I mean, to me, the number one thing that contributes to society's perspective of food is social media. And the way that you overcome that is A, mind your own plate. Their plate does not have to look like your plate. Their diet does not have to look like your diet. And then number two, if you find that you're always comparing to that person, 
Or if you find that they make you feel guilty because of the way you feed your kids and they feed their kids different, you do not need to have that person on your social media feed in general. I am a big proponent of removing some of that negative energy a little bit from your feed because you're going to get it all kinds of places. You're going to get, you know, unsolicited advice at the grocery store from someone on why you shouldn't give your kid that squeezer packet or why you shouldn't buy that. But you are in control of what's on your feed. Um, So remove the ones that you notice consistently make you feel guilty or consistently make you question why do you feed your kids the way you do or why do you feed yourself the way you do? They don't know your story. You know, they don't know what's accessible to you. They don't know your income. They don't know your diet restrictions. They don't know what you like and what you don't like. Um, So I just, I feel like a lot of our disordered patterns with food can be boiled down to social media and the media in general. Yeah, no, I would agree. I just had an interview a couple days ago and um, it was a very, we had a very similar conversation just around social media. And I think that it's something that I've learned over time, especially with my struggles with my body and my body image and whatnot is like what I was ingesting on my feed was impacting how I felt about myself. And it isn't that person's fault, but like those thoughts were not helpful to me by seeing that person in their life or their body or whatever. But because I was able to acknowledge it, I was able to actually like change it and say like, this isn't making me good. So I'm going to unfollow this for a little while or maybe forever because I have the power to choose what's in my mind. I think that's so that's a really good point. Like just because you unfollow them right now doesn't mean they're gone forever. If you like really thoroughly love this person's feed, you don't have to forget about them. Goodbye. But you have to protect yourself. Like exactly. Like put a filter on and protect yourself. Like what social what is the purpose of social media to your life, right? Is it there to always cause stress and comparison? Or is it there because you want to stay up to date on what your friends are doing? Yeah. Um, you are in control of the messages you're receiving. No, I could not agree more. And speaking of social media, I'd love to know, like, for you, like, how do you navigate that pressure on social media and, like, our culture when it comes to showing up as, you know, a woman for your job? I saw you did kind of one of those, like, turning, you know, negative comments into a, you know, video. And I was just like blown away by the things that people chose to say to you. And I just would love to know kind of how you yourself are able to navigate that, especially when you seem to be challenging a lot of people's ideas of health and diet. Yeah, it's very hard. I get asked all the time, like, what's the hardest part about working in social media or working on Instagram? people's opinions, right? Like, and they are so brave to share them with you when you, when they're behind a computer screen, when they don't ever have to engage with you face to face. Um, I protect myself a variety of ways. First off, I don't engage in topics that I know are not going to be fruitful conversations, right? And I feel like, especially right now, Social media is a little bit volatile, you know, just everyone wanting to talk about specific topics. And I try to stay involved because I care, but also you have to protect yourself a little bit because um, people's opinions aren't going to line up always with yours. And how are they going to respond to that? And how are you going to respond to the way they respond to that? So first off, I protect myself with the types of conversations I have. Um... I mean, you've seen my feed. I talk about a lot of controversial things. Um, And I also am a very gray area dietitian. I don't think everyone in the whole world needs to lose weight and you don't need to do that. And you should challenge food restrictions that you have. But I also think there are plenty of people who want to lose weight and they have a right to pursue to do that. And I will help them do that as well. I very much fall in the gray area dietitians don't like that there is a gray area. They don't think there should be one. So you have to just be confident or I have to be confident in my message and what I think is valuable to people. And my goal is to support and to educate people. And everybody has different goals. Everyone has different desires. So I think there can be a gray area because 
that's really where kind of life happens. Um, also, just like easy. I mean, you saw my reel. People give me a lot of horrible, horrible comments. I have no problem deleting. Yeah. I have no problem blocking. I try not to because I encourage conversations and different opinions and that's okay. And I'll often leave them. If you go through my feed, you'll find comments that don't agree with me. Um, they have a right to be there, but if it's just not fruitful, you have to protect yourself, um, and delete them and remove them. But I always tell myself their issue is with my message. It's with what I'm saying. It's not really with me as a human being. Um, some people will disagree and they say there is no difference between what you say and who you are. I, it makes me feel better. So that's what I do. Um, yeah. but it's tough. You got to have skin. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced it. Like you can't, you got to just be firm in what you believe and be yeah. confident. And when you have that, you can handle the conversations and the comments that people leave you, even when they're hateful. Yeah. Well, and I love tough. you said, I tend to feel very similarly in that gray area, even as a personal trainer. Like, I don't think that a lot of, you know, I think a lot of women who come to me wanting to lose weight, when we get down to the reasons why, it's not really a health-related issue. It's an, a security-related issue. It's a confidence issue. And if you can right. build up somebody's worth beyond what they weigh, there's a lot of value to that. But on the same coin, I would never tell someone, I'm not going to help you lose weight. And to your point, there's like, people don't like when you're, kind of floating in between and it's like but that's where I think a lot of us would end up feeling a lot happier is not having to like make it very like black and white cut and dry issue it's like well it's not every not every issue is that and I think that that makes people feel uncomfortable because again we just want clarity we want answers we want to know the truth and I say truth in quotes but for each of them might look a little different yeah, absolutely. For sure. I know, um, you know, maybe people are wondering for themselves, like how they can start maybe making healthier choices, having more balanced diet. And I know, obviously, I'm going to put like an asterisk there, like every client is different. So, you know, this advice is going to be more generalized, but do you have like three or four simple steps that anyone can take to start making those decisions within their lives? Yeah, definitely. So I thought about this one um, because, yeah, this is going to look different for everyone, right? But if I had to do like four just real surface level, first one would be eat consistent meals and snacks. This is to avoid that binge restrict cycle. When you eat consistently, I typically recommend three meals and two snacks, but some people it's two snacks and two meals, right? That's going to look different, but eat consistently because when you eat consistently, it's easier to build up a healthy plate because you're not starving. It's easier to practice proper portions because you're not starving. It's easier to stop when you're actually full because you're a little bit more dialed into your own hunger cues. So step one, eat consistently. That tends to be the answer to a lot of people's issue is that is what breaks them out of that binge restrict cycle. Two, real easy, eat more color, right? Only one in 10 Americans, I'm going to throw a statistic out there, eats enough fruits and vegetables, right? So there is a huge area for improvement on that front. That is an easy way to start eating a healthier diet is let some of these colorful foods take the place of other foods. Like if you are always eating crackers or whatever for snack and you're like, this is not doing a ton for me, try swapping it out for like an apple and peanut butter. Try swapping it out for veggies and hummus or something. Try adding in a color. Try adding a color to your plate, to every plate. Work your way up meal by meal, but eventually get a color, fruit or vegetable on every single plate. Um, three, stock up on healthy food. People always are like, duh, Lauren, (laughs) of course you got to stock up on healthy food, but you will not choose it if it is not in your house. We eat what is convenient, right? We snack on what's convenient. That's why we all snack on chips. Um, stock, stock up on healthy options, maybe prep carrots in your fridge so that they are now the convenient option instead of chips. 
Stock up on healthy options, make them convenient. And then number four, lose all or nothing mentality. Lose the cheat day mentality. Lose the restrict, 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 restrict binge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not productive. The only thing that that is doing is hurting your progress. Yeah. Um, it's hurting your health. It's hurting your weight loss progress. It's hurting your relationship with food. You can lose weight. You can be healthy. You can eat a healthy diet with consistent meals and snacks. It does not need to be super restrictive. It does not have to have a title on it. You don't need to say, I'm healthy. I started paleo. You can just eat normal and you are perfectly healthy, right? Um, I think we like to have a name for what we're doing. Sometimes the name is I'm just eating a balanced diet, right? Yeah. And I like it. I'm happy with that. I think, and that's the end. More people need to just focus yeah. on that. Like, just balance. Just do what works for you. Balance. Like, oh, I think we'd all be so much happier yeah. if we could do it that way. That is, we would be. We would. We, we would. would be. I wouldn't get those mean comments on Instagram. If everyone just ain't yeah. balanced. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> well, this has been so insightful and just, like, really helpful. Even for me, someone who, like, loves this stuff and researches this stuff just because I care. So if someone felt like they really connected with what you were saying and are interested, like what would does working with you look like? How can someone get in touch with you? Anything else kind of you want to share? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, nutrition at its roots. I feel that tends to be like the best social media platform for people to get my information or get in touch with me. You can also Check out my website. Um, it's www.laurentwignutrition.com. It's on my Instagram page. I have tons of services to work with clients. So one-on-ones, group programs, single calls. You can message me um, and we can get something that fits your needs. So yeah, hopefully people will get in touch You know, and like the message. I love to work with people. And I can meet people where they're at, whatever goal you have in mind or whatever goal they have in mind, I have a service that can help with that. No, that's awesome. I think sometimes, yeah, to your point, like sometimes it just takes like a couple of calls. People have questions. They just don't really know. And so being able to talk to somebody like we talked about at the very beginning, who's like certified, studied, has like proven, this is like their forte, you know, like that's the kind of people you want to put your trust and your time. And even if it's just a couple calls and not like a full commitment of something. So I think that, yeah, people getting to work with you would be amazing. And I hope they do. I feel like even from this episode, I'm like, Oh, I feel like I've learned so much. I can't even imagine what like a program would look like or a call would look like. So yeah, thank you here and sharing your amazing knowledge with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast interview. And if you are enjoying the podcast and loving these interviews, please go ahead and rate and review the Worth More podcast wherever you listen. I am always happy to hear y'all's thoughts, suggestions, feedback. So make sure you reach out to me on social media or through my website. I would love to hear you. And I hope you have an amazing day.